You're listening to In My Father's House with our pastor and teacher, Mike Venizio, Senior Pastor of Harvest Christian Fellowship in New York City, New York. In my Father's house, there's a place for me. In my Father's house, where I long to be, oh, my heart will not be troubled. I remember what you said. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father. So what do we have that hasn't been given of us from God? Life, prosperity, happiness. So this is more of a reason to draw closer to God, to live more fully for Him. Gang, the closer we get to Jesus, the farther we shall get from ourselves, and the less of pride we shall know. Everything good you experience or receive in this life is a gift from God, and He desires for you to give them back to Him as tools to serve His will. Accruing wealth, resources, or power shouldn't be your goal in life. Serving God with those things should be the ultimate goal. In today's message, Pastor Mike will challenge us to adapt an eternal kingdom mindset. As you make decisions, weigh the eternal consequences. What will that action accomplish towards God's will in this world? Now here's Pastor Mike in the book of 2 Peter chapter 2 as he begins his message, All Sin Will Be Judged. Glad you joined us. This is a part of our Living Faithfully series, studies in the book of 2 Peter. And in the progression of that series now, we're in 2 Peter chapter 2, verses 4 through 9. The title is, All Sin Will Be a Judge. So with that said, let's go ahead and read that text, and then we'll open up in a word of prayer. So 2 Peter chapter 2, verses 4 through 9. For if God did not spare the angels who sinned, but cast them down to hell and deliver them into chains of darkness to be reserved for judgment, and did not spare the ancient world, but saved Noah, one of eight people, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood on the world of the ungodly, and turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, condemned them to destruction, making them an example to those who afterward would live ungodly, and delivered righteous Lot, who was oppressed by the filthy conduct of the wicked. For that righteous man dwelling among them tormented his righteous soul from day to day by seeing and hearing their lawless deeds. Then the Lord knows how to deliver the godly out of temptations and to reserve the unjust under punishment for the day of judgment. Let's begin in that word of prayer. Father, we pray now that you bless our time together. Lord, as we treat this text of Scripture, God, open it up to us. God, give us understanding. Lord, help us to learn all of the lessons that are contained within it. 
Lord, help us to receive all of the exhortations, the warnings. Lord, we pray that you'd use it to further your work in the lives of your people. God, thank you. And now, Lord, as always, I would ask that my words would be your words. Help me to say only those things that you want me to say. Bless your people now, and you be honored and blessed. For we ask all of these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. So once again, this evening's message, the title is, All Sin Will Be Judged. Okay, let's back up a little bit. Peter, previously, had been talking about the judgment which would fall upon false teachers who were guilty of spreading false doctrines deliberately. Notice, let's go back to verse 1 of this chapter, chapter 2, and Peter refers to them as damnable or destructive heresies, creating havoc within the church, creating havoc within the lives of the members of that uh, church, all of the churches. Now our text elaborates, this evening's text, elaborates on this idea, and it sort of forms a theme. What is that theme? All sin will be judged, and no one can escape it. Now, to drive this point home, notice Peter provides these historical examples for us, and there are three of them. And each one of these examples exemplify three particular areas of sin that we must safeguard ourselves against. The first of which is the fallen angels, notice. Secondly, the world before the flood in the days of Noah. And then lastly, the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. Okay, so let's take them in that order. The first of which are the fallen angels. And these fallen angels particularly serves to remind us that regardless of one's position, sin must be judged. Hey, listen, you can be the leader of a country, you can be, could be some kind of a popular uh, personality, or even the pastor of a, a church. But nevertheless, all sin will be judged. Your sin will find you out. Now let's further talk about these angels that Peter uses as an example here. These angels are the highest forms of intelligence, the most powerful creations of God. But these advantages did not excuse their disobedience. Now, their particular sin was that of the sin of uh, pride. They sought to be higher than God. They rebelled against God. And we have an indication in the scriptures, like for example in Revelation chapter 12 and verse 4, where we are told that one-third of all of the angels uh, that God had created actually rebelled against God. Uh, particularly, I'm thinking about that one fallen angel who was Lucifer, or as we know him as the devil. For example, in the book of Isaiah, uh, again, in relationship to the sin of pride, in Isaiah chapter 4, in verses 12 through 14, there we are told, How you are fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, the devil, son of the morning. How you are cut down to the ground, you who weaken the nations. For you have said in your heart, I will ascend into heaven. There again is the sin of pride. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will also sit on the mount of the congregation on the furthest sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high God. And so the sin of pride. And the sin of pride is a terrible sin. And God hates that sin of pride. And thus we must protect 
ourselves against it. In fact, it is one of the most common of sins. In the book of Proverbs, in chapter 6, verses 17 through 19, there we have recorded for us seven things that God hates. And at the very top of that list is pride. And the writer refers to it as a proud look. Let me give you another cross-reference. From the book of Isaiah, in chapter 5, and verse 21, uh, here's the uh, exhortation, the warning. Chapter 5 and verse 21 of Isaiah. Woe unto them that are wise in their own eyes and prudent in their own sight. Listen, gang, God hates pride. You know, let me ask you a question, and I want you to think about this. What exactly do any of us uh, possess, have, that we should be proud about? I mean, think about it. It all comes from God, and it's all in His grace. In the book of James, in chapter 1, in verse 17, there we are told that every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father. So what do we have that hasn't been given of us from God? Life, prosperity, happiness. So this is more of a reason to draw closer to God, to live more fully for Him. Gang, the closer we get to Jesus, the farther we shall get from ourselves, and the less of pride we shall know. You know, there's this story of a little boy who was walking down a New York street, and he passed by a place where a skyscraper was being constructed. Well, glancing up, he saw men at work on a high story. He turned to his dad and asked, Daddy, what are these little boys doing up there so high? said the child. The father responded, they're not little boys, they're grown men. But why do they look so small? asked the young boy. The father replied, because they are so high. Then daddy, when they get to heaven, there won't be anything left of them, will there? And how true that is. You see, the nearer we come to Christ, the smaller we become ourselves. So, let me ask you the question. Are we full of pride? Are we always boasting? Well, that would be then an indication that our relationship with Jesus must be a very shallow one. So gang, keep yourselves from pride. So that's the first warning that served up for us here through this text. The second example given to us as it relates to sin must be uh, judged was the world destroyed by the flood. Let's go back to our text. And once again, let's read verse 5. And God did not spare the ancient world, but saved Noah, one of eight people, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood on the world of the ungodly. So, for 120 years, God was patient and long-suffering with that world. For 120 years, Noah preached this message to all sorts of individuals and religious people, or those at least who considered themselves our religious war included, that is, in whom uh, Noah uh, preached to. And, uh, you know, I, I, this must have been really uh, bizarre for a lot of people, because they probably thought of Noah as some crazy man. He's building a boat out there in the middle of the desert, and he's talking about rain, and prior to that event of the flood, it had never rained upon the face of the earth before. You know, I bet you that Noah 
had become some sort of like entertainment for the people. Hey, Joe, what are you going to do this weekend? Well, let's go down and see that crazy man in the middle of the desert, you know, building that uh, boat. And, uh, and so people probably went down there to, to, to joke about uh, what Noah was doing. But nevertheless, Noah, when the crowd came in, he would stop uh, his building. He would stand on the deck of that ship and he would preach the same gospel that I'm preaching to you this evening. But they refused to listen. They refused to heed the warning to turn from their wicked ways. And thus the heavens were open and all life was blotted out with the exceptions of those who were in the ark. And that would have been Noah and seven members of his family. And then of course the various species of animals. Now the judgment by the flood convinces me of the truth of two particular verses of Scripture. The first of which is recorded first in the book of Ezekiel, in chapter 18 and verse 20, where there we are told, the soul that sinneth shall surely die. So, as surely as all who were outside of the ark, who did not take advantage of Noah's preaching and enter into the boat, there in Noah's day, perished in their sin, so shall all that are outside of Christ in our day. Whether you are religious or not, if they have not experienced the redeeming power of Jesus, well, therefore, they are lost. Now, that brings us to the next verse of Scripture that this reminds me of, which is recorded for us in the New Testament in the book of Romans in chapter 10 and verse 13, where there we are told, Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So let me ask you this question. Have you called upon that name for salvation? And notice I didn't ask you if you've joined a certain church, if you're a member of Harvest Christian Fellowship. I didn't ask you if you were baptized or are meticulously obeying God's word, although those things are important. But rather, have you received Jesus as your Lord and Savior? You see, that's the only thing that matters. Have you entered into God's ark? I mean, I want you to think about it. In the days of Noah, there was only one ship to be to board and to be saved. God provided only one may, uh, only one way. Even as today, God only prepares one way of salvation to the person of Jesus Christ. And that's exactly why Jesus said in John's Gospel in chapter 14 and verse 6, I am the way, the only way, the truth and the life. And no one comes unto the Father except through me. Let me give you another cross-reference. In the book of Isaiah, in chapter 55 and verse 6, there we are exhorted, seek the Lord while he may be found, call upon him while he is near. In other words, so call on him, and if you do, you will find him if you are looking for him. So that's the second example that Peter uh, gives us as it relates to all sin will be uh, judged. God judged the world for their wickedness by the flood. The third and final example that Peter serves up for us is those twin cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. Let's go back to our text. Notice there in verse 6. And turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, condemned them to destruction, making them an example in those who afterward would live ungodly. Now, the failure of these cities was the result of gross moral impurity. There was no repentance, 
It was just a desire to continue to live in depravity. And thus, God judged them. They were reduced to ashes. You know, I can see the inhabitants of these cities around the judgment uh, throne of God, you know, seeking and trying to plead their uh, case, making excuses. You see, God, there was so much sin around us. I mean, what could we uh, do? But listen, in that day, excuses aren't going to hold any order. We are not to be products of our environment or our surroundings. We are to be products of God's grace and love. And it's by His grace we are able to live above temptation and worldliness. So, it's not the environment that makes someone good or bad. I'll give you an example of this. From the Old Testament, Adam and Eve. I mean, think about them in the garden. They were actually placed in the perfect environment. There in the garden that God had created. A perfect environment. So the problem with them and falling into their sin was their heart. And that's the problem with man. It's the heart of man. You know, Jesus put it this way in Mark's Gospel in chapter 7, verses 21 through 23. For from within, out of the heart of man, proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lewdness, an evil eye, blasphemy, pride, and foolishness. So all of those sins come forth out of the heart. But just thank God that Jesus cleanses our heart and cleanses us from all sin and purifies our heart by faith. Notice Peter makes it clear that Lot, and he uses Lot as an example of this, was able to trust in the Lord even in the midst of the most appalling conditions. Let's go back to our text, verses 7 through 9. And he delivered righteous Lot, who was oppressed by the filthy conduct of the wicked, for that righteous man dwelling among them tormented his righteous soul from day to day by seeing and hearing their lawless deeds. Then the Lord knows how to deliver the godly out of temptations and to reserve the unjust under punishment for the day of judgment. Hey, listen, and let me also add that Lot wasn't perfect by any means. He had his faults like any of us. His testimony was pretty weak, and he was a pretty worldly individual. But nevertheless, in spite of those things, he trusted in God for deliverance, and God did not fail him. So gang, what do we need to do? We need to live a separated life. We need to separate ourselves from anything that displeases God or hinders us from being an effectual witness for him. You know, go to the next book of the Bible, in 1 John chapter 2, in verses 15 through 17, and John, the beloved apostle, instructs us, exhorts us, uh, chapter 2 of his first epistle, verses 15 through 17, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world is passing away, and the lust of it. But he who, do, who does the will of God abides forever. You know, Alexander McLaren, the old Scottish preacher, 
wrote on the subject of the relationship of the believer and the world, and I found a piece that I think fits quite well here. And so he said, and I quote, The world conquers me when it succeeds in hindering me from seeing, loving, holding communion with and serving my God. I conquer it when I lay my hand upon it and force it to help me to get nearer to him, to get more like him, to think oftener of him, and to do his will more gladly and more constantly. The one victory over the world is to bend it to serve me in the highest thing, the attainment of a clearer vision of the divine nature, the attainment of a deeper love to God himself and a more glad consecration and service to him. That is the victory when you make the world a ladder to lift you to God. When the world comes between you and God as an obscuring screen, it has conquered you. But when the world comes between you and God as a transparent medium, you have conquered it. To win victory is to get it beneath your feet and stand upon it and reach up thereby to God. Listen, we are to be in the world, but not of the world. We need to point men and women to Jesus. So folks, we have two choices here. We're either mastered by the world or mastered by Jesus. So I would suggest surrender yourself to Jesus because only he can satisfy. The things of the world will never satisfy you. You'll always be wanting more. And here's what's at stake. Go back to verse 9, the final verse in our text. Notice in the latter part of verse 9, he tells us there, God has reserved the unjust under punishment for the day of judgment. So that's what's at stake. Escape that judgment by believing on the one, Jesus, who took your judgment upon himself. You know, in one of the most beloved verses of Scripture, all of the Bible, you know well, John's Gospel in chapter 3 and verse 16, we have that precious offer of everlasting life and the ability to be able to escape judgment. And there we are told, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever would believe in him would not perish, but have eternal life. Gang, choose life, choose Christ. But let's close out our, this portion of the service in a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for uh, these exhortations, these warnings that are served up for us here. Lord, it is true that all sin will be uh, judged, and no one will escape uh, from that. And so, Lord, help us to live openly and purely before you. God, strengthen us in the inner man, even as you did a lot. And Father, we thank you. Lord, uh, just continue to work your work uh, in our lives, in our, in our hearts. Father, may, we, may we, we please you. Lord, may we uh, walk ever so closely together uh, with you. God, we thank you. And now, Father, as we close out our service, receive our worship. For we ask all of these things in the name of Jesus. And everyone said, Amen. As we study the book of 2 Peter together, we pray it has encouraged you to mature in your faith. Growing in any capacity can be both exciting and difficult, but always necessary. One way to grow is to tune into programs like this. Great job! 
You've been listening to In My Father's House, and we're so glad you tuned in to hear today's teaching with Pastor Mike. To listen to today's message again or to hear more from Pastor Mike, just search for In My Father's House on your favorite podcast platform. And be sure to subscribe. You can also find us on media via Facebook and Instagram to keep up to date on our day-to-day happenings. If you're looking for a place in Midtown Manhattan to come together with others and worship Jesus, we'd love to have you join us this Sunday for worship at Harvest Christian Fellowship. You'll be able to reserve your seat and get directions to our easy access point at harvestnyc.org. We're also streaming each Sunday and Thursday evening service, so everyone has a chance to attend, even if you can't make it in person. If this broadcast has been an encouragement to you, would you consider supporting us? We'd love your prayerful support. And if you feel led, we're also thankful for any financial support. In fact, you can donate securely on our website, harvestnyc.org. Again, that's harvestnyc.org. Thanks for your support, and thanks for listening in today. Pastor Mike has much more to share from the book of 2 Peter, so be sure to join us again next time right here on In My Father's House.